Well, today we're closing out the Gospel of Luke, and like you saw in the announcements, next week we're moving into a time with the prophet Jeremiah, as together, whether that's in worship on Sundays or in teaching church on Sundays or in uh, study together, we're going to go through parts of the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah, and how through those challenges, those changes of life, the questions, the conflicts we have about where is God, we're going to take a look at what does it look like to have faith enough to finish. But today we're still in Luke. So get those Bibles open. It's also on the back of that order of service that you got there is what we're looking at today. And you're going to see that we're not given any invitation today or an evite, but we are given a clear and challenging command that I think leads us beautifully, not only into this week, into every day that we move into, but also into our series as we start looking at the struggles that come with life. Now you'll remember, of course, that as Jesus is journeying, he is continuing toward Jerusalem. And our text today says that there were many are going with him. And as I spoke to last week, remember, he's headed to the cross. He is determined. Nothing is going to sway him. Nothing is going to stop him. He is going directly for the cross. But the crowds who were with him thought that he was going to Jerusalem to make his empire. But he's going to the cross. So I think it's worth noting today that our text begins with Jesus stopping, turning around, and looking at the crowd, making sure that they hear exactly what he has to say. And today, we too turn our ears and our eyes to the text and hear Jesus personally addressing each one of us through the gospel this morning. From Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Here Jesus declares that true discipleship, the true disciple, comes to him without reservation. They must set Jesus first. Other relationships are not going to be done away with, but they have a lower priority than your relationship with Jesus, with faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. This was, at the time, and still today, is a very audacious demand. Not a single one of the prophets of the Old Testament or the apostles that will follow Jesus asks for such personal commitment as Jesus does here in the text. If Jesus was not and is not God, this, friends, would be nothing short of idolatry and probably madness, not to mention harsh. It says, does not hate. Now, I know what you're thinking. I thought repeatedly in the Bible, and especially all that we've been looking at in the Gospel of John over this summer, that we're supposed to find the way to love, not hate. So isn't this kind of like a... Um, how do I say this politely? An odd choice of words. Maybe the NIV did a little bad translation here. Well, it definitely is an odd choice of words, but the translation is not wrong. Jesus used the strong word hate to show how great the difference must be between our allegiance to him and our allegiance to everything and everyone else. In fact, this isn't the only place you'll find it. In reference to hating one's relatives was actually a Jewish idiom that uses hyperbole to indicate, that's a lot of grammar words, you can look them up, to indicate one's preference. We see it in Malachi 1 when God was speaking about Jacob and Esau, or if you prefer Romans, when Paul quotes God from Malachi. We also find the phrase in Genesis 29, 30 to 31, if you remember when Jacob has two wives. The text says Rachel was loved, but Leah was hated. 
Really what this means is that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. As we look at this idiom of one must hate, it's not the best. It's not a classic, really, if you're a Notting Hill fan when that guy does that in the cardigan. If I'm being honest, I prefer the idiom, come rain or come shine. It's a great Sinatra song, in case you've never heard it before. But you know, as I do, as we look at this and we don't digress, and I stay on track here, that being a follower of Jesus typically makes someone a better family member, typically stops the hate and moves you more into loving and faithful, encouraging family member. Not to mention that there is this commandment that says, honor your father and mother. And Paul tells you that you must submit yourself to your spouse, that you are to encourage and care for your children. So why such strong language again about hate? It's because of the danger of idolatry. Because sometimes idolatry doesn't just come from bad things, but also from good. And sometimes even in our family relationships probably thinking right now in the Bible of examples like David and Bathsheba, Samson and Delilah, the rich young man and his wealth, or Mary and Martha at the pressing of their brother Lazarus. Jesus uses this strong language because being a disciple of Jesus isn't some game or a convenient choice passing fad. And it's certainly, as we're going to see, something that is more than just accepting an invitation. This is everything. Nothing can come between your trust in Jesus and everything will try to. So then Jesus responds even stronger and says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Here Jesus said to the great multitudes, to the very people then and now who are following him, something very similar that he said in Luke chapter 9 to his own disciples, that being a follower of Jesus requires a cross. And if this doesn't horrify you, know that it definitely horrified the listeners of the time. Because when Jesus spoke these words, carry your cross, everybody knew what he meant. Everyone knew. When the Roman general Varus had broken the revolt of Judas in Galilee in 4 BC, he crucified 2,000 Jews and placed their crosses by the wayside along the roads, Denarius Targaryen style. For in the Roman world, before a person died on a cross, they had to carry their cross, or at least the beam across them, to the very place where you would be executed. You did not just get hung on a cross. First, you carried it. And carrying a cross always led to death. You did not carry a cross for fun. The first hearers of Jesus didn't need any explanation of the cross. They heard right now that this is an unrelenting instrument of torture, death, and humiliation. And if someone has told you to take up your cross, you are not coming back. It is a one-way journey. And here in the text, the Lord looks at you and says, the cross is assigned to you. Your cross, not a cross, not the cross. The cross is suited to each individual. Now, one person's experience of the cross may not look like another, but we all carry the cross. And if you've maybe used this general 
wording, phrasing before of Jesus about it's my cross to bear, referring to that passive submission to all kinds of maybe afflictions, disappointments, sickness, the middle seat when you're riding on an airplane, grief. That's not quite what Jesus has in mind here. Carrier cross is a brutal knockdown fight. This is death. This is self-sacrifice that you willingly pick up and follow him through into death. You, disciple, are to become the person who for Jesus' sake and the service of his kingdom and the need of those around you will surrender all of that self-seeking and abandoning, striving after whatever it is that you want to the very point of losing your life. Jesus is saying this isn't believing some facts about me. It is a yielding to the way of life that you lived before and an embracing of a new one, a life of purpose, not accident, not casual, not carrying the cross when you feel like it or when it is easy, but you daily carry the cross and follow. And if you're wondering when, how often, you put your hand right here over your heartbeat, and the heartbeat is the reminder that it is time to carry your cross and follow Jesus. And the Lord tells you that the cross will be heavy and gritty and you will feel it, but he tells you it will be worth it. Because every single one of us is in a battle and we are fighting together. The battle against the world for sure, against the devil, but against the, the, against the very flesh and our own sinful mind. Because how many times has life knocked us down on our backside? And we try to get up and we get up again and we fall and we get up and we fall and we get up and we fall and we get up and we fall and we get it, whether that's sin or something happening to us. But you have to pick up that cross. And maybe you have been someone lately. Who knows exactly what I mean when it's pick up your cross, fall. Pick up your cross, fall. And we all go through those seasons. The call here, friends, is to fight. To fight and to pick it up. This is not an invitation to the easy life. It is an invitation to the life of death, of dying so that you can live. And every time you drop that cross, every time you get knocked down, hear me when I promise you, you have strength. You have power. Power and strength that is in you, that is greater than whatever it is. There is no white knuckling when it comes to carrying your cross. The way of carrying your cross is to remember the one who picked up their cross and never dropped it. Went all the way to Calvary. That one. Jesus Christ himself picked up his cross, looked at you and says, follow me, we can do this together. Because you are never a victim of the cross that you carry. You will be formed by your cross and you are 100% saved by his cross. I look out today and I do not see victims but saints who carry their cross following their master's footsteps. People who are formed by the cross that they carry and saved by the one that he carried. He promises, he promises you that he will be with you every step as you carry that cross. He has come, he has started that fire that was kindled. That spirit of God that is alive and ready to be shared. 
placed in each one of us at our baptism, given to us when we cry out in faith, carried and delivered, given and shared, the hope that rests, that carrying a cross is not the end, but is simply the journey. Jesus made it clear. Carry your cross. Follow where he trots. This is probably the hardest and also the simplest commandment he gives. Carry and follow. He walked to his death. And so now those who follow him must do the same. Luke 14 says, suppose you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. This person picked up their cross and said they loved Jesus. I saw him do it, but man, look at them now. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he is not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and asks for terms of peace. At any time, you can get out of the race of carrying your cross and say, I look, it's too hard. I can't do it anymore. Those of you, though, who do not give up everything can't be my disciple. He says, carry your cross and follows with two parables. One that says, sit down, see if you can afford to follow me. Really says, it costs something to follow me. You don't just get to declare it and then it's done bankruptcy Michael Scott style. Friends, it costs more to reject Jesus than it does to follow him. And in that second, the stakes become even higher than just shame and embarrassment. Your life is on the line. Whether you will choose to fight and follow or surrender and just give in to this world and its ways. Whether you will choose to live life on the wide path to desolation and destruction or you will seek the narrow and you will fight. Because the work of following Jesus, not the earning of salvation, the work of following Jesus is building and battling. but building and battling in confidence. Know for certain living stone that you are being built by God for his purposes. Peter says, and coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sky of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are being brought into something that is bigger than you, and you are being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit within in you to stand and be strong and be built alongside, to be called holy, to be called brother, sister of the Most High. And know for certain that he has armed you well for the battle. Look what Paul says in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength, but in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and it will come, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your race, the breastplate of righteousness in its place. 
feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take that helmet and put it on your head. Grab the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and go. Pray and battle. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying. Keep on praying. Don't forget that the one next to you carries their cross as well. Pray for them that they will have the strength to follow. Don't stop praying. Pray as you sit down and deliberate. Pray as you think about the cost. Because this isn't about cleaning up life before you follow Jesus, like washing yourself and then taking a shower. This is about right where you are, immediately carrying the cross, dying to self and following him. And as you journey, learning to give up the things that held you back. Because if salt is good, what happens when it loses its saltiness? How is it made salty again? It's not fit for the soil nor the manure pile. It's tossed out, and whoever has ears, let them hear. The final reminder brings home how important this radical commitment is. Carry and follow, or be like a seed that fails to produce fruit, tasteless, good for nothing. Carry your cross. What would stop you from dying to self? What would stop you? as you sit here and deliberate, what prevents you from picking up your cross and following him? What would you hold to that has more value than responding to your Lord's call? This is it. This is it. And it's probably not going to have a pretty little bow tied around that cross. And you're not going to find yourself fired up every day. Let's die to self today. But you will see, and your heart will know, this is who you are. This is where you are going. One foot after the other, following Jesus. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you make others feel. You carry your cross. And by the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ, you will keep going each time you are knocked down. So I'll close today with this psalm prayer from from Psalm 119, which is only about 200 verses long. I thought I would skip most of it and just pull out some parts that I liked. I like that here in this psalm, it's not trudging and being sad. You're not victims of the cross, right? But you are saved by His. So that when you are laid low in the dust, when the soul is weary with sorrow, carrying your cross, we run. The psalmist here says you run following Jesus with strength that you didn't think you had following in hope, knowing that you are kept, that you belong to him. So I pray this. I'd sing it, but I'm not as good as Stefan. I don't have that cool dwarf voice. That's right, rings of power. I worked it all in today. I'm laid low in the dust. Lord, preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways. You answered me. So teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word.
keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me. Teach me your law. Today I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the very end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for it is there I will find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill the promise to your servant so that you are feared. Take away disgrace that I dread. Your laws are good. I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Remember your word to your servant, for you give me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. My hope, my comfort, my promise in the carrying of my cross is that you do not give up on me, that you have called me by name, that I am yours. Save me, Lord Jesus. Amen.